Father, we thank you uh, for uh, your love and uh, what it is that uh, you are doing in our lives, and we pray that you would minister to us, Lord. We long uh, to hear from you. We long to hear your voice and know and understand the leading of your spirit. It's, um, I have to admit, I'm, I so easily fall into repetition that it's just the day. It's just the time to have church and uh, forgive me, forgive us. If we have that attitude of, of not recognizing we're here, uh, meeting with the one true living God. Uh, that your spirit is touching us. And uh, according to the scripture, the angels are here amongst us, a participant in the service, Lord. What, what a holy and reverent thing. So we surrender this time to you and ask that your, your will would be done in our hearts, our minds, and that you would uh, teach us and train us and mold us and fashion us into the image of your son. That we would be more like you and less like ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we had actually finished um, chapter 5 uh, with uh, the resurrection of the 12-year-old girl and uh, the woman who had had the issuance of blood uh, for 12 years, Jesus healing uh, both of them, resurrecting the little girl. And so... Uh, when verse 1 says, then he went out from there and came to his own country. Uh, so he he lived in Capernaum and ministered in and throughout uh, this region, and he's come back <clears throat> to sort of home base, and his disciples followed him. And when Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Paul uh, does <clears throat> the, a similar thing always going to the synagogue. Um, he goes to the Jews, his own brethren. He goes to the synagogue, he preaches. <clears throat> they, you know, sometimes accept what he has to say and listen and learn. Other times reject. If they reject, Paul would immediately leave and go to the Gentiles. I'm convinced that Paul was doing that based upon the example that he learned, knew, and understand from Jesus. That you know, especially that honoring of the scripture, honoring of the Sabbath, honoring of his countrymen, and uh, teaching uh, the word of God consistently. I point out again, Jesus' ministry is a prominently a teaching ministry. So often, you know, we get the impression from certain branches of Christianity that, you know, it's just this constant firework display of miraculous events and certainly all of that was going on but every time jesus moves his motivation and then his settling and his function is always i must go and teach i must go and teach and and then you know the miracles follow so here he finds himself in his home country and he's in the synagogue and he is preaching to the people teaching them Many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Very similar to the beginning of his ministry as he goes up on the mount and preaches Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And when he completes it, the scripture records that people were astonished because he taught as one having authorities, and it specifically contrasts it by saying, not as the Pharisees, you know, meaning they didn't teach with any authority. Uh, the pulpits today are full of this. No authority. They, they do not speak with any definitive uh, you know, statement, answer, uh, regarding almost every subject. You're, you're left with the sensation of, uh, you could take this or leave it. It doesn't have that black and white sense of things. There's sort of a question mark uh, left. I, I know there are good preachers and solid, very uh, definitive 
you know, teachers that expound upon God's word. I'm not trying to say everybody's that way, but by and large, uh, you know, you know what's really tragic. Uh, a lot of people are not aware of um, <clears throat> George Soros. I say that name, and most everybody's, you know, especially believers, your skin crawls. And okay, George Soros is investing millions of dollars in American seminaries. Okay, to subvert them, to bring in liberal scholars and liberal, you know, architecture and liberal, uh, you know, um, scriptures and interpretations. And he's doing everything he can to undermine uh, the word of God and its authority. You guys, <clears throat> some of you were around uh, years ago, a Bangor Theological Seminary when that was functioning. Um, their last three years of functioning, they did uh, uh, pulpit surveys uh, of student body uh, to just get a sense of where they were at <clears throat> last three years that they functioned. 80% of the student body uh, coming in as uh, first-year students believed in all the tenets of Christianity. They, they held to the Apostles' Creed. They, they believed the inerrancy of the Scripture. They, they, they really clung to it. In the two-year program, there's a four-year program, two-year program. In the two-year program that they ran, in two years, the numbers were reversed. 80% of their students leaving no longer believed in the inerrancy of God's word, no longer held to the Apostles' Creed, did not believe. They had done more to destroy the faith than they had to bolster the faith. And that's what a lot of American seminaries are doing even ones that we sort of know and trust you know doctrinally as an organization you read and you think i'm totally lined up with this position uh, then you talk to students who've been through the classrooms that's not what's being taught it, it's completely you know watered down completely destroyed you know i had uh, two uh students over the years who uh went to a very popular university, and uh, one of them dropped out uh, before he'd even completed his first year and because he came back saying the teachers don't even believe well, the Word of God. You know, I, I went there thinking it's one of the most uh, prominent Christian colleges. And uh, you know, he went down there thinking, I'm going to do this, I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, his first night there, you know, his dorm mates are all headed out to go drinking, they're all, they all have girlfriends, they're all sleeping around, you know, and it's pretty much known. Unless it's forced to the surface as some kind of scandal, the college wouldn't even deal with it. And he's just left going, I could, I could have gone to a secular college, you know, and, and been salt and light there and shared, you know, my faith with people. Instead, I'm in where we're supposed to be in fellowship and growing and learning, and people's faith is being undermined. So Jesus comes and he, he he astonishes his countrymen from his hometown uh, with his teaching and, and the miracles that are being performed. Is this not the carpenter? So not just Joseph, right? Certainly his stepfather was a carpenter. We know that from the scripture here. This is the, the proof text. Jesus himself had followed in that training and was himself a carpenter. The son of Mary. And notice this. The brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Right? Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Uh, Joseph and Mary had children after Jesus was born. The Roman Catholic institution, I try not to say church because they've hijacked uh, that term and, you know, claim to have authority over all Christendom with that, but uh, they have hijacked so many things from the Scripture, and they say that, no, no, these aren't his uh, brothers. These are his cousins. And we talked about the fact that when the Scripture wants to say cousin, it says cousin. When it wants to say brother, it says brother, just like you would today. And notice this, are not his sisters here with us? And there's some church tradition about how many sisters uh, we know conclusively at least two. Why? Because it's plural. <laughs> so there were at least two sisters in the program here. So 
they were offended at him. That seems an odd conclusion. But at the same time, you're left with the sort of rhetorical understanding that because they knew him this well, they were offended by him speaking with such holiness and such a sacred approach and such an authoritative position, and they're offended by it. You know, the root of it, jealousy. That That's always what is going on. You know, when people behave this way, and I've seen it a gajillion times in Christianity, I, well, I'll make the confession. I see another church who I question their doctrine and they're being successful. Our tendency, my tendency is to be like, how could that be happening? The grace of God is how that's happening. The same way that what's happening here is happening by the grace of God. Are there things to discuss? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, we shouldn't take uh, that uh, statement uh, from the scripture uh, where, uh, you know, the leadership of Israel is all upset about particularly Peter and John preaching in the book of Acts and they've rebuked them and beaten them up and told them to stop and they're continuing to. And they have the council meeting where they say, well, look, you know, if this is of God, you know, if we oppose it, we'll find ourselves fighting against God. But if it's of men, it'll come to nothing. Well, that's not true, is it? Right? I mean, uh, Joseph Smith was a profound liar, and yet Mormonism thrives. Okay? Uh, so this idea that, oh, if it's not of God, it's going to fall on its face, isn't true. Okay, so we shouldn't do either thing. We shouldn't look at a particular organization and, oh, you see it thriving, so you make the assumption, well, that must be of God. Not necessarily, okay? Or if you see something falling on its face, you shouldn't think, well, God has certainly pronounced judgment upon them, right? It, it may just be, how many times do we read Paul goes into a certain region, he's totally rejected. He's driven out of town, right? They stone him to death in Lystra and throw him out in the trash heap. Not because he was a failure, not because he wasn't blessed of God, not because that wasn't the calling of the Lord on his life. That was all part of the program and exactly what the Lord wanted happening. So here, the rejection, the jealous hatred that occurs so naturally in human beings. Verse 4. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. I think that's a very important thing for us to relay to new believers, right? And the conversion comes, and we're all excited to go share with friends and family and relatives, and we're just convinced we're just going to win them over. We're going to go and we're going to preach and we're going to tell them what the Lord's done in our heart and our mind and our life. And they're just going to fall down and worship Jesus Christ and surrender. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Instead, they're stark, raving, mad, and spit in your face and kick you out the door and lock it right behind you. That's the more natural tendency uh, amongst those who know us and love us. I uh, did not understand this when I first came to the Lord and I went right back to all the places that I had been living in and partying in and sinning in and just preached. I mean, just walked straight up into the house where, you know, beer party, everybody's smoking weed, you know, doing all their sinful things and just like, hey, have you ever checked out the Bible? Look, and just, yeah, they were so sick of me. So sick of me in no time. Hated my guts, you know. It was it was a bad move. I, I two occasions I cornered two of my closest friends and I just preached them into submission. You know, Joe Hope prayed with me for salvation, zero fruit in his life. Dan Plant literally, I followed him to work, and we're in his car. He's trying to go in and punch in, and I'm just preaching the bark off him. He throws his hands up in the air and says, "All right, what do I need to do?" You know, like I'm holding him up, man. 
And uh, I said, you need to pray with me right now. We prayed nothing, you know. You need to go, what does Jesus say over and over again? For him who has ears to hear, you know, if they'll respond. And not only can you waste a lot of time and energy, you can also damage a lot of relationships. You know, share, speak, certainly, you know, testify to your faith, give opportunity. Look for the opportunity that God orchestrates to draw people to him. Uh, John Corson years ago uh, described that as being a machine gun preacher versus a sharp shooter, right? Just pull a trigger, spray the crowd, don't hit anything. Everybody's just ducking for cover versus take your time, set the shot up, squeeze the trigger at the appropriate moment and deliver someone into the kingdom it is much smarter uh, to follow what the Lord would lead you to do. Jesus goes and he preaches and they're offended by him. And, you know, he makes this statement. And then in verse five, now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out about the villages in a circuit Teaching, So he's spreading the gospel and preaching and being faithful to his countrymen. But as they reject, he just allows them to reject. There's no big, uh, you know, coercion that goes on in this process. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting. There's a lot made of how he could do, not do much work there. And people build inappropriate doctrine about faith. You know, I had these people believed. Oh, if you just believe and you'll this. I'll make the point again that, you know, faith is not a power that we yield. Um, I guess I'll chase the rabbit trail for a minute because you need to understand the word of faith movement and how it affects Christianity. Okay. So uh, in Genesis... The scripture tells us that by faith, God created all things. Okay? And uh, when he created, he used uh, the divine fiat is the word. That he brought things and spoke things into existence. That this faith, through the spoken word, brought these things into existence. You know, let there be light. And there was light. That's the, the divine fiat and the faith. That he's creating by. So the word of faith movement and their college, keep that in mind, they train ministers. And those ministers have the mindset that the faith that they can have and the faith that they can wield is that same faith that God used to create the all of the universe. So this is why... They then go, well, then you can speak into existence that which does not exist or even speak out of existence. You have the power that God had. Benny Hinn follows this to the point in the teaching where he literally was saying in 92 and 93, I'm a little God. Wow, that's pretty spectacular. He's saying that all Christians are gods, lowercase g. That we have the power to create, and, and they go through this thing of, you know, don't say you're sick. I've I've gone through the, you know, the sort of the theatrics with that before. Because if you confess that you're sick, then you're going to get sick. You're going to make yourself sick. It's the power of faith. You're believing in the illness more than you are. That's false. Okay. And the one example, there are many examples. The one example I always throw out is that uh, when Peter was in prison, they'd already killed James. Uh, the brother of John, and uh, they captured Peter and they were preparing to put him to death. The Christians were living in fear and they had a Bible study where they were a prayer meeting. They were praying that Peter would get released from prison. Angel goes to the prison, you know, kicks Peter and wakes him up, says, get your junk, we need to leave. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. This is a new Will Cass version. And um, 
they the, the the gates of the prison swing open and peter's out in the street alone when he realizes this is not a dream this is the real deal i am no longer in prison and so knowing where the christians are he he just down the street he goes to that house and he's banging on the gate in the yard and the little girl rhoda comes out recognizes that it's peter at the gate and and from sheer excitement doesn't even unlock the gate she runs into the house to say peter's outside and they say you're making up stories now cut it out that's not polite and she insists peter is outside and they say well then they must have already killed him it, it's his ghost at the gate okay they're praying they're in the house praying for his release praying in faith which has accomplished the work that they are praying for. But listen, right? They're praying in doubt. So, so the next time you're saying, God, I really want you to do this, but I also know it's impossible and not going to happen, don't beat yourself up too bad, okay? Grab a hold of the reins. What do we say? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Trust and believe in God and his capability, right? But if it doesn't come to pass, don't think like, oh, that was because I didn't believe strongly enough. Because we have multiple examples in the scripture where people are obe obediently praying and trusting God and things take place and don't take place. Okay, well, the, the strength of our faith is that we are placing our trust in the strength of one who's capable. If it is within his will, he will accomplish it, right? James specifically tells us why we don't get things answered. Because we ask amiss, literally meaning inappropriately, that we might spend it upon our lust. Not so much sexual, but desire of the flesh, right? Something we want doesn't line up with God's will, right? Sometimes it's as simple as, God, I really want this job. And God is saying, no. And you don't even realize that it's that other crummy job that's going to teach you a whole bunch of lessons. And there's a whole bunch of people over there that need to hear the message that's going to come out of your mouth. And then way down the road, there's a whole bunch of circumstances he's going to orchestrate that do wonderful things for you and his will. Right? Did we not raise our hand at some point and say, I want to be a child of God. I give you my life. <laughs> right? That means he gets to do whatever he wants with it. So if at times the answer doesn't come the way that you think, don't, don't do that. I have watched people abandon their faith altogether because they have that mentality of I have the divine fiat. I'm going to pray this into existence. And it doesn't come. And they throw in the towel and go, you know, one or the other. Either God is false or what more commonly I see is they look at themselves and they go, I am false. My faith is terrible. Which is what those word of faith teachers say to them. If you ask and do not receive, it's because there's something wrong with you. Your faith has failed. Right? And, and listen, class, right? I think we could all raise our hand and admit uh, my faith has failed from time to time along the way, different places, right? Every one of us can attest to that. So when you couple those things together, false teaching regarding faith combined with your behavior, which confirms the false teaching, you can be left with something that isn't true at all in your behavior. So important that we look to the Word of God and we derive our understandings from the Word of God, not our life's experiences, right? You know, take the time on your own. I chase rabbit trail after rabbit trail. Go home and research the book of Job and listen to his counselors and the things that they say, which come directly from life, but much of it is false, they're making assumptions about God and life and Job's righteousness versus sinfulness that are completely untrue. 
Their observations have been real-life observations, but as far as establishing doctrine, they're wrong. They're wrong. So we need to derive these things from uh, the, the Word of God and what it has to say and what it teaches us. So here he's gone around and continued to share faith with the surrounding villages. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. Now we know from other passages of Scripture that he sent out 70 and 72. Okay, so here uh, this is probably one of those occasions. There are scholars that argue and say, no, this is a separate occasion altogether. There was the occasion where he sent out 70. It was the occasion where he sent out 72. And this is where he sent out the 12. Great. <laughs> okay, we know the 12 were sent on this occasion. Right. However, you want to, you know, research the history and line that up. Um, that'll be just fine, and it doesn't change what goes on here. He called the twelve to himself, began to send them out two by two. I think that's very significant to understand. Uh, Lone Ranger Ministries are always kind of sketchy. You know, I'm not saying they're completely impossible or wrong, but two people, you know, even husband and wife team is good. Uh, what did you know the Lord say as he's going through creation? Finish, that's good. Finish, that's good. Finish, that's good. Finish with Adam, one guy, all alone. That is not good. <laughs> I need to make this guy help me. Right? When we're on our own, we can convince ourselves of things, good and bad, right, that aren't necessarily correct. It's good to have somebody there to keep balance. Uh, to lend insight, to encourage certain behaviors, to discourage certain behaviors, right? We, we need the checks and balances. Going on our love, Proverbs tells us that the man who isolates himself seeks his own desires and rages against all sound judgment. Being alone is not necessarily a good thing. Much, much better to have, you know, the team and the, the group effort in this same way. Sent them out two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, a walking stick, no bag, no bread, no copper in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. Don't have to take that you know, extra outer layer is what he's saying. Now, remember that later he's going to send them out and tell them, make provision for yourself. I sent you out with any of these things previously, and this time I'm sending you out, you need to get a, a day pack and fill it. <laughs> you need to have provision for yourself. And, and even he makes the statement of, I sent you out without sword, but now I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. You would be wise to sell your outer tunic and buy yourself a sword. And bluntly stated today, that would be a firearm. You know, so this idea that Jesus was a pacifist and that he didn't you know, allow for self-defense and didn't promote the idea of weaponry is false. Okay? I'll say this, right? Because they immediately say in that occasion in the book of Luke, uh, we have two swords. And he says it is sufficient, right? The Holy Spirit authors all of the scripture. Okay? So we learn from the scripture that there are two swords. Two swords. Not just in that occasion. There are two swords. The physical sword and the spiritual sword. Okay? I say to you, if you have not learned to wield with hyper-efficiency the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, don't even bother getting the second physical sword. right? Because if you're not going to govern the use of that physical sword by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, then you're going to misuse the physical sword. You're going to misuse it, right? You then then you got to go over to he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. 
You have to be governed by the Holy Spirit in order to handle such force with a godly behavior. I, I know so many Christians that are just gung-ho patriots who have you know, a complete arsenal. And as I listen to their rhetoric, I think you should not have a single bullet, let alone. I mean, I just can't even believe the stuff that's coming out of their mouth. And, you know, I think every Christian should be armed and well-trained and capable of defending themselves and their families and the innocent. I, I, that, my, my personal conviction is wholeheartedly that. But so many Christians are, are just loose cannons. We use that term a lot, loose cannon. I always like to research it. Loose cannon, do we understand, right? You, you've loaded it. You've lit it. And now it's broken loose of its moorings, and it's just drifting around on the deck of the ship, burning the wick. Loose cannon, bad idea, right? That's going to discharge someplace, and it's not out the portal it was supposed to go. I mean, just loose cannon unloaded, not burning a wick is a bad idea. You know, a ton of metal rolling around on the deck of your ship is dangerous. But one that's loaded and lit? And I think that's a way a lot of Christians are. No, you think I'm wrong? You don't have a Facebook account, do you? Right? I mean, listen to some of the stuff these people are saying. It's insane. It's absolutely crazy. I'll, I'll say one more time in regard to a lot of this junk. Uh, civil war is the absolute last thing anyone anywhere ever wants. It is so destructive. Look back through history, right? You, you know what the worst element of civil war is? Neighbors kill neighbors. Needlessly. Needlessly, it's not even about the armed conflict. Oh, this neighbor got mad and got behind his stone wall and started shooting over here. No, no, just suspicion. I think that guy thinks this about me, so now I've got to take up arms. Civil war, it's always the most murderous, most deadly of any conflicts. Everywhere across the planet, all throughout history, civil war is the most undesired method of armed conflict. Yeah, I see a lot of that rhetoric drifting around. I see a lot of people saying things that maybe they don't even realize. You're promoting the concept. Listen, the liberals drive me crazy. But you know what? I want every one of them to surrender their lives to Christ and be with me in paradise. I, have, I wish no harm upon them whatsoever. None whatsoever even if they're changing laws and doing terrible things i said this morning i would love to see joe biden come to know jesus christ as a personal savior imagine the potential revival that that could you know create what, what a wonderful opportunity right and didn't paul tell us to pray for our leaders pray for our kings pray for our governors pray for you know de facto our president Nancy Pelosi, right? Pray for these people. Are they evil and diabolical right now? Yes, 100%. I agree wholeheartedly with all that is being said in that regard. But the whole mentality of a lot of Christianity is incredibly sinful. And it's really, really wrong. Really, really wrong. So here, he sends them out without any of that. No provision. And... The point is, they're going to learn God is completely dependable in all settings. That they don't have to rely upon earthly things. I'll throw the contrast out again, right? He's going to later tell them, you need to make provision for yourself. You can almost look at it like contradiction. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that when you have great abundance, God is still your provider. And he's still the one that you need to rely upon. You know, so I find it strange that sometimes Christians are being given opportunity to receive a great provision. They're like, no, I'm just going to trust the Lord. Uh, the, the provision is from the Lord. 
you know what I'm saying, you need to take what the Lord is offering you here in these settings. You know, allow him to bless you. Here, they're going to learn, right? This is like the nation of Israel in the, in the desert for 40 years. God provides manna, right? God provides the pillar of fire that, that warms them at night and, and uh, shades them during the day. Their clothes do not wear out. The quail fly in. Uh, exhausted and just dropped to the ground. They're able to go out and just wring their neck and have dinner, right? When they enter the land, they've got to carry the sword and the shield, and they've got to attack their enemies, and they've got to learn strategy. God hasn't abandoned them or changed his character or their character or in his, his ability to protect and provide. It's the same God. The lesson you learn, right? When Paul says, I've learned uh, how to live when, when I'm you know, abased or when I abound. Both of these settings are both God-given settings. So uh, take them out. Uh, you know, Don't have any of this provision. I'll, I'll also point out he's given them power over unclean spirits, right? The miraculous capability is now in their hands. Uh, keep in mind, right? Judas was just given the power to cast out demons. You, you shouldn't look at that and go, only the super godly are given opportunities of ministry. Right? We have the summary later that Jesus says, one of you is a devil. That's that's difficult to take. John tells us that throughout the entirety of the ministry, Judas was stealing from their treasury. He was a thief the whole time. R really horrible. But, you know, you consider Jesus tells us he's going to gather all of the nations before him. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the goats, right, that are headed to hell say, right, did we not cast out, cast out demons in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So consider how that might, you know, instruct you and, and show you what the Lord is saying. Also, verse 10, he said to them, And whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. Now, now here, bear with me on this thought, okay? I got a lot of personal application that I've derived from this as a minister, and I think that it trickles down. So follow this, right? <clears throat> He's sending them out to their locations of ministry, right? They're going to go. So this might be considered the first time they're sent out as pastors. He sends them out and says, where you end up, stay there. There are so many people that go into ministry and they have a mindset like, I'm going to go and my motivation is a certain size congregation a certain level of financial provision, a certain comfort of benefits that I'm going to receive. Uh, no, well, then I'm moving on to the next place. And I'm moving on to the next place. You know, I just, uh, I had to help deal with a man years ago who had caused a great stir in a church that I had been indirectly involved with helping start up and you know that literally ended up in a shoving match with one of the elders in the church in front of a small portion of the the guy had taken most of the church's learning library home to his own house and for like a year the the church leadership had been asking for it to be returned and one of the elders got a bee in his bonnet because he'd paid for quite a bit of it and finally has this confrontation about are you going to bring back our library and it turns into a shoving match. And shortly after that, the man was dismissed from the church. Well, he went down the road and started his own church. Right? Not ordained as a pastor. So what he does is he appoints elder, 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 elder. And then has a ceremony where he says, okay, now you guys ordain me as a pastor. That's odd. <clears throat> so anyway, he goes through church after church. And he leads churches, and he does a really terrible job of it. He shifts his doctrine three times very dramatically, right? 
we are conservative independents. And the church isn't very big. So, you know what? We're independent Baptists, like after a year and a half. So, like, get all the Baptist stuff and still not very big. So, you know what? We're radical Pentecostals, right? And, uh, you know, it just goes on. And I hear about him time and again. And then I hear friends of mine, close friends of mine, their father, living in a town not far away from here, looking for a new pastor. And they're all excited. We found a new guy. And I'm excited with him. Wonderful, you found a pastor. Who is it? And they give me this gentleman's name. And I'm like, oh, darn. But maybe he's grown up. Maybe he's changed, right? Well, this is an old church, like over 100 years old. They own their own property. They got their own cemetery, right? You know, and they, they got a parsonage. So they give this man a decent paycheck. Right, and it's got a little tiny insurance policy with it, and they give him a parsonage, so he's got free housing. They've got a car, you know, the church car that they like trade in every few years. So he's got a church car, he's got a paycheck, he's got a little bit of insurance, and he goes and he preaches for four weeks, and then calls a meeting with the leadership to say, okay, so now that I, you guys all understand, I'm awesome. This is the paycheck I need. And they were like, uh, dude, the paycheck we gave you, like that, we maxed out. Like right from the beginning, we gave you everything we had. You know, the presumption. He goes through the process of quitting, and they've got to find another pastor, and he just abandons them. That puts that church right through the ringer. You know, they do, they've literally come out and painted his name on their sign. And, you know, and the whole community's like, new pat, no, not new pastor. Okay, you know, it's terrible. If you haven't silenced your phone. <laughs> Top-notch professional here. Um, so uh, he, you know, Jesus is setting out. Hear it again. In whatever place you enter a house, Stay there till you depart from that house. Go to that community and minister there. You know what the you know what the average size of a Calvary Chapel is around the world? Less than two hundred people. Mo most people think Calvary chapels are like thousands. There are a few of those. Most Calvaries, a lot of Calvaries are like fifty people. A lot of them, right? because most of those pastors have the mindset of. Wherever the Lord has led me, that's where I'm going to stay. I'm going to fall in love with the people. I'm going to fall in love with the community. I'm going to stay right there, and I'm going to do my best to make sure that those are the best-fed Christians I can possibly make them. I think that that's really wise, right? Because in that, here we are, whether you're aware of it, I mean, we're in a region that has some of the most impoverished communities in the United States of America, Washington County. Washington County has some of the most impoverished communities in America. If you have that mindset, like, I'm a big shot, <laughs> then you're, you're going to be really disappointed with what it means to be a servant and, and to stay there and care for the spiritual needs of people. Now, I think that's a big, significant thing that's going on here. And I think it's, I think it's really important for <clears throat> everyone in Christianity to understand that. Because this megachurch mentality, that especially in America, that has, I say, poisoned a lot of Christians. I think certain mega giant churches are awesome and incredible. I think others are terrible and treacherous. You know, I I share the particulars sometimes, and maybe I shouldn't, but I was astonished. I visited a, a mega church on the West Coast a number of times, family setting allowed uh, for us to do that. And, uh, you know, I arrived there, and it's just like eye-popping. <laughs> I worked in television production for years, uh, local uh, news agencies, uh, 257, did a little work for 12 over the years. And, you know, when you walk in and you go, like, that's a $58,000 camera. Like, <laughs> holy cannoli, you know what I'm saying? I mean... There are just some things where you begin to realize this is incredible. You know, I come back, uh, you know, the following year, 
the entire entryway of the church has been completely rebuilt. All, all completely done over. You know, you come in in a different spot, they get a whole thing. Well, that's kind of neat. You know, they redid the front end of their church. Well, later I find out they do that every quarter. Once a quarter. It's in their budget. Once a quarter. They overhaul the entryway of their church. We're not talking just like a fresh coat of paint or a different wallpaper. I'm talking gut the whole front end. There's a team that's constantly working on what is the next theme of our entryway going to be. Okay, I mean, imagine, right? You can still, to this day, build a church building in the 1040 window of Asia for two, or, yeah, $2,000. It's cinder block walls, right? It has a locking door. They usually use wooden staves in the windows, and, and it has a metal roof. They, they build them to, so they can meet even when it's raining. And also it keeps the Hindus from pelting the Christians with rocks while they gather together to worship. For two grand, you can build an entire church building for people in India. And you're overhauling your church vestibule every quarter. Full construction. Uh, to me, uh, that's uh, like somebody's going to be accountable to their Lord over such a thing. You know, mega church. again, I say, at times wonderful powerful you know that 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 you know body of believers who are doing so much around the world that's kind of cool when, when the lord does that and means to do that and and yet when the goal and the motivation is we we got to become a mega church not going to be satisfied until we are a mega church uh, that there's a corruption in that 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 we need to be very careful of you know even admiring it inappropriately we, we need to guard our own hearts again. So, whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. This was a practice of the Jews, particularly, uh, all, well, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees uh, did this, where they would come to the border of Israel as they were about to depart and they would stop and they would wipe all the dust off their sandals, mostly symbolically, and they would shake out their robes and leave the dust of Israel in Israel. And then when they would go throughout their wanderings and whatever they were doing, when they would return and come back, they would stop and make a big show of wiping all the dust off and shaking out their robes to leave the Gentile dust in its territory. It was the idea of that Gentile dust is not worthy of being mingled with the dust of Israel and Israel not, you know, proper to mix with the Gentiles. And Jesus is saying, you know, that's not a bad picture. If people reject you and the gospel, okay, how are you going to do that today? You don't have to, you know, make a big deal about wiping your sandals and shoes off on the doorsteps of your relative who's rejected you. But you you can. It is okay to just, we say it, right? To brush it off. D don't worry about it. You know, we, we tend to have our heart on our shirt sleeve and just, you know, like, it's such a deep injury, you know, injury. Why won't they accept me? I'm just here trying to share the gospel with them. Uh, do your best to just brush it off. Pray. Ask the Lord to minister to them, you know. As much energy as you might have spent staying there and just arguing the bark off from them, <laughs> just leave and spend that much energy and time on your knees praying for them. Just, just brush the rejection off. Don't be hurt by it. Just let it go. I, a number of years ago, I got fired for being a Christian on a particular job site. Um, I, I've shared this story uh, many times, but... Uh, you know, the boss hated Christianity and um, he had had these confrontational conversations with me. Uh, we, we had two particular conversations about my faith and about Christianity, and he started both of them. OK, and um, so uh, he I was I always listened to Christian radio. I always 
reading my Bible at lunch break. My, my faith is just right out in the open in the raw. And uh, he was particularly ticked off with me about it on one day and came out into the shop uh, where there were two other employees and then a secretary had to get involved where he just announced very abruptly, that's it, I can't stand it anymore. Yeah, you, I'm firing you right now. And I'm literally like, what for? And because you're a Christian. Okay, and in case you're wondering, uh, the state of Maine supported him in that decision. Okay, I contacted the state of Maine. And I thought I had a case, and they were like, "No, you know, he 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 cannot singularly discriminate against one religion. He can. He does have the legal right to say no religion is allowed in this workplace." I did not know that that was the way the law was. And I'm not sure that it is, okay? But I told the labor board and I told that employer, oh, that's fine, Jesus Christ is going to take care of me. And he's going to take his pound of flesh away from you. Okay? You, you don't get to do this. Uh, you, you're going to experience persecution. Now here's the deal, right? <clears throat> We're building these massive i'm doing metal fabrication we're building these massive projects and we got three on the floor at the time we're working on and his rage causes him to say you're fired and i say basically oh okay so you're firing me in front of other people for my christian faith so okay that's cool go get my paychecks and i'll leave right now and he leaves and he comes back out and says well look um here's what we're going to need to do because we got these projects going. Um, in two weeks, you're done. I said, wait a minute. Are you giving me a two-week notice on a firing? And he said, yes. I said, no, you're not. Go get my money. And bring me my paychecks and I'll leave right now. And that's the point I wanted to get to. Was you know He was short-tempered and short-sighted enough to fire me without thinking about how how am I going to finish these projects? And once he had considered it, he comes back and he tries to recant. And I just said, no, I brushed the dust off and just said, see you later. Right? At the time, I had this super strong Christian faith, like, God is going to take such good care of me and I'm being persecuted for my faith. I didn't know I was going to be without work for three months. You know, I, I did not know how hard the trial was going to be. And, and you know, I'll, I'll bear my soul. I didn't know that after two months I was going to come inside this building and pull all the blinds and shut all the doors and just lay on my face and call out to God about how am I going to feed my family? What is going on? Right? Because I did not realize, like, everywhere I'm going and filling out job applications, when they call him, he's lying to them about me saying all kinds of things that are untrue you know i had to stop using him as i worked for the guy for two years you know of course you would put that on your job applications i have to stop putting that on my job applications and then i started getting jobs uh, you know the 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 strain right when we you know shake off brush off the dust we can just say that really, like just brush it off. You brush it off, sometimes it's going to be very painful. And you're going to pay in the process. The thing I want to tell you is the faithfulness of our Lord to carry you through those situations, right? You know, a lot of our doctrine, a lot of our belief system, right? It's, it's words. <laughs> and it's not until you have to live them out that you get to experience the pain, right? Because maybe you're sitting there thinking right now, like, you're telling me to brush off my mom, Will. And I am. And I know the pain. Brush off your dad. Yes. Yeah. Love him. Love them. Pray for them. Continue to reach out to them. Visit them, right? But don't be wounded. Just let, let the Lord minister to you. Understand his faithfulness. You'll learn a depth of relationship that that only comes through these types of experience brush it off against them assuredly i say to you it will be more tolerable for sodom and gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city 
right? Th- think about that, right? If you if you haven't ever examined Sodom and Gomorrah, right, lowest place geographically on planet Earth today, Dead Sea, right, driven right into the surface of the Earth. When it's when you're reading there in Genesis and it says that God overturned Sodom and Gomorrah, it's the same term that is used when Jesus went into the temple and flipped over the money changers' tables, you know, grab Sodom and Gomorrah from underneath and just fling it upside down, right? Sulfur and asphalt, you know. Have, have you guys seen the pictures of volcanic eruptions where there's massive lightning storms taking place inside the periclastic cloud, right? If you're not familiar with the whole... Uh, sort of scientific process, uh, the sun radiates energy, it hits the earth, and the earth absorbs that energy. The evaporation of water takes that positively charged particle and carries it back up into the cloud formations. When the cloud formations have gathered up so much positive energy that it can no longer hold it, it launches it back down to the earth. When a volcano erupts, all of that energy stored in the earth and generated by the heat of the magma, which is pouring out, raises up into the periclastic cloud, and then it drops back down as an electrical storm during the eruptions. Very often, the magma and the asphalt and the minerals that are being thrown up into the air are... are Uh, exploded and detonated in the air and rained down as, you know, all this fire and brimstone. So Sodom and Gomorrah is thrown up into the air and and rains down as fire and brimstone destroyed as the lowest place on planet Earth to this day. They've, They've gone through a great process to find any remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah in uh, that region, and you know, all of the skeptics say there's no evidence that it was ever here. Yeah, no, that should send the shudder right through your spine that it was there and it's destroyed beyond any recognition. Okay, here Jesus is saying to those that would reject the apostles, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you guys. That's a very serious statement. And I don't think that it was just sort of a metaphor. If nothing else, right, Sodom and Gomorrah did not have the apostles of Jesus Christ ministering amongst them. right? Imagine being one who actually experienced these ministers, brushed them off and rejected them. Now you've got to spend an eternity in hell separated from God. And you're going to forever have the memory of when these guys came to the door and tried to share. When they were there. I missed it by the, I'm now here for eternity. I missed an eternity in the presence of God by that. That's crazy. Right? Revelation tells us as believers two things in regard to this. One, the Lord is going to wipe away every tear. Whatever sorrow we experience. And secondly, the former things will no longer be remembered, right? I don't think they'll be totally forgotten, but they're not going to be remembered in a sorrowful way. You're not going to be tormented by the fact that there are loved ones who are not with you. Imagine being in hell, and for all of eternity, you get to remember the opportunities that you missed and you rejected. That's going to make hell worse. Having those memories here, be better for Sodom and Gomorrah, the day of judgment, than for that city. Verse 12. Oh, we're already at 7.08. Well, we'll read verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. A great work of the Lord is is done in this. Um, I'll just end with uh, these couple of thoughts. Um, 
I have seen people that I would say, well, I've, I've, well, I'll just stick with the positive ones. I've seen people who um, were, in my opinion, demon-possessed. That uh, we prayed over them and they were delivered. This, this still happens today. Uh, one of the occasions um, uh, was at Calvary Residential Discipleship. A young uh, woman came in, and I'll sidestep into the discussion of drugs, and uh, the root word pharmakia is where we get the word sorcery from. And the use of drugs often opens people up to the spiritual realm and the influence of the demonic. And I've seen many people who, um, you know, sometimes just through detox get delivered. Uh, this young woman came into the program that I'm referring to, and she had been through detox already and been in the program for uh, more than a week. And she is flailing and twitching and, you know, unable to control herself and, you know, vocal outbursts and just we're doing Bible study, you know, with 50 people in the room. She's in the front row. And, and like the more I talk about Jesus, the more agitated she's getting and just snapping and popping and coming unglued. And as I come to the culmination of whatever message I'm in, she's totally disrupting my ability to deliver it till I finally have to signal the leadership and say, you need to get her and get her out of the room. And I later have a conversation <clears throat> with them and say, firmly convinced that this young woman is demonically possessed <clears throat> and you guys need to take the time to have two levels of conversation with her one does she want to be delivered from that two if she does is she re ready to surrender her life to jesus christ and be indwelt by the holy spirit right because as we've talked about even recently you know, if someone's not ready to surrender to the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit reside inside them, you cast the demon out. Jesus said it goes and wanders through a spiritually dry state of existence, comes back to that person, finding the house swept and put in order, but unoccupied by the Holy Spirit, goes and finds seven like unto itself, comes back, and their end condition is actually eight times worse than the beginning because they get the original and then seven more along with it, according to Jesus. So they did that, had that conversation with her. No big, like, poltergeist experience. Prayed over her. Yes, I want to be delivered from this. Yes, I want the Holy Spirit. Prayed over her. The next week I show up and, like, pretty and combed hair and nice clothes and sitting in the front row and hands folded and Bible open and taking notes and, you know, Dressed and in her right mind, <laughs> right? I've seen that a few uh, different times. I've uh, prayed for people and seen them healed. You know, instantly, sometimes later. You know, small things, big things. Uh, you know, life-threatening cancer, delivered. I've seen people die that we've prayed for also. These things go on today is what I'm really wanting to get at. We should not relegate them to the past. I'll remind you, and I want you to be careful about this, the book of Acts and the miracles recorded in it transpire over 40 years. <clears throat> so if you space that out, you're looking at less than a miracle a year. Right? God is still working the same as he was in the Old Testament, the New Testament, in the book of Acts, today. We can trust him. We can rely upon him. We can look to him for these things. Right? You don't want to read through the book of Acts in an afternoon and go, wow, that was a fireworks display of supernatural events. I want to see that happen in my church. And you go to church and it's just sort of ordinary. And you're thinking like, this place stinks. <laughs> like, Not much happening here at all. Maybe as much as was happening in the book of Acts is happening in your own church, right? Don't be discouraged. You know, don't, don't look at things through a lens of, of human understanding. Let the scripture reveal itself. And, and the God 
of the Bible is the God we worship. We, we are, we can rely upon him and look to see these things happening in our lives, our churches, our ministries. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, <clears throat> let's stand and we'll pray together. And seriously, if you haven't shut your phone off yet, <clears throat> yes. Uh, I'm so foolish. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your kindness. I'm just, I'm still astonished that you use someone such as myself. Use each of us, Lord. You have a, each of us in a particular environment of people. Help us to minister to our children, to our families, our loved ones, our co-workers, our fellow students. Lord, whatever our setting is, our neighborhoods, our travels, Lord. Present the opportunities. Help us to see them and to open our mouths and to share our faith and to lead people into your kingdom. We want to be your apostles, those who have been sent out by you to build your kingdom and see your will done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.